Murder and Moonshine, a true crime podcast with a southern twist. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Christy and I'm Misty and you have tuned in for episode number two. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for coming back for episode number two. Misty, what kind of fucked up shit are we going to hear about today? We're going to hear about some South Carolina fucked up shit. So in honor of that, we have South Carolina moonshine. (gasps) Straight from Charleston, South Carolina. From Charleston. We got some apple pie moonshine. And I think before we dig into this little nugget... That we should have a shot. Absolutely. All right. Bottoms Cheers, up. bitches. Mmm. That one is a lot smoother than that Carolina moonshine in episode one. It tastes just like apple pie. Like, it, for real. It's, yeah. It's sweet. Yeah, I can it's taste refreshing. the cinnamon. I can taste the cinnamon apple. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like some apple pie. Good job, Charleston moonshine. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So today we're talking about a case that happened in 1985. So I'm going to take us back a little bit. And we were just a baby. We were. A wee baby. In 1985, I was like watching The Wizard of Oz holding my Teddy Ruxpin. I had a Teddy Ruxpin in that weird worm thing that (laughs) was like his friend. And you put the cassette tape in. And the cricket doll that you put the cassette tape in. And a cabbage patch, too. We're showing our age. And E.T. Let's not leave out Mm, E.T. Yeah, he phoned home. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I just literally thought about how he looks like an overcooked weenie. Like a... (laughs) What the fuck? I don't know why. An overcooked weenie with eyes? Yes. I don't know. Like a a sad little piece of meat. (laughs) You know? He was brown. <laughs> Maybe like a little piece of stew beef. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Oh, we're going to see how far through this episode we can get sober. So listen far. fast because I don't know what it's going to look like towards the end. But I'm going to try to give you all the info because this really is a crazy fucked up story. I and love let crazy me, um, fucked up stories. Let me go ahead and give you a trigger warning here. We obviously use explicit language. We're talking about gory, terrible things. This one's going to have murder, rape, kidnapping. All the good details. I mean, it's, it's yeah, we're going to get real with it. So, so if that offends you, this probably is not the episode for you. But we hope you come back and try again. Those of you who choose to stay, hang on, bitches. So I'm just going to dive right into this nugget. So as I said, we're taking it back to May 31st, 1985. And a girl named Sherry Faye Smith. She had been at a pool party with classmates. She comes home, stops her blue Chevette at the end of her 750-foot driveway to check the mail around 3.30 p.m. Chevette. A Chevette, girl. Chevette. She had a red bandana on, too. She was kick-ass. Total 80s chick. chick. Absolutely. And the thing is, Sherry was going to be graduating in two days. 
High school? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then the the following week, she was going to be going to the Bahamas um, on a class trip. Senior so, trip. Yep, yep. Senior trip. Yep. So anyway, Sherry's father, Bob, he worked from home. He was a pastor. And he could see her car out of his office window pull up to the end of the driveway. He knew she was going to check the mail, didn't think anything about it, went on with a few other tasks. And after about five minutes, he got concerned that she hadn't walked into the house yet. So he looks out his office window and he still sees her car at the end of the driveway. Concerned because of her medical condition, she can get dehydrated and become disoriented easily. He drives to the end of the driveway and finds her car running with the driver's side door open. He sees Sherry's shoes and purse on the seat along with her medication. Shoes that, like, she had on that day? Yes. Okay. It was her flip-flops. Okay. And he also notices bare footprints walking from her car to the mailbox, but does not see any footprints coming back to the car. And he sees that the mail is on the ground at the mailbox. Okay. Now, I said that Sherry uh, had a medical condition, and it's called diabetes insipidus, and it is not related to type 1 or type 2 diabetes. It's actually a hormonal abnormality where the body can't regulate salt and water. Diabetes. So this, Yeah, that diabetes girl, but it ain't the sugars. <laughs> it ain't the sugars. It's the Different waters. It's, it's the, the waters. waters. Um, but she actually had to drink lots and lots of water. To keep that salt balance in her body. And this also required her to have to go to the bathroom a lot. Right. As well. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, Bob immediately was suspicious about this. He goes down there. He can't find her anywhere. Um, Sees the mail on the ground. The door's open to the car. Everything about that situation is suspicious. Alarm bell's going off. Right. So, he drives back up the driveway and immediately calls the Lexington County Sheriff's Department to report his daughter missing. Right. And the Lexington County Sheriff, James R. Metz, organized a huge search effort that included air, land, and had a 24-hour command center set up in a tractor trailer near the house. So they took this serious, like right off the bat, immediately. Right. In a lot of cases, you're hearing where they say, oh, you got to wait 24 hours, 48 hours before you can uh, report somebody missing. They immediately jumped on this because they knew. But I hear that in cases where people delay reporting somebody missing because they think you have to wait 48 hours. That's not true. Right. You can report them immediately if something, especially if this suspicious circumstances i mean you see one set of bare footprints you see the male cars running no yeah he knew absolutely because he knew she could easily get disoriented if the water and salt level levels were off in her body right um and when he looked around and he says okay i don't see her anywhere there's mail on the ground cars running immediately know something's wrong yeah one set of footprints yeah right so and kudos for the lexington sheriff's department because they took it serious right off the bat and in fact within two days two or three days the fbi was involved with this as well good so let's talk a little bit about sherry okay she was born june 25th 1967 in columbia south carolina her parents are robert and hilda smith she has two siblings an older sister named dom and a younger brother named robert jr and she was the mid kid of the group 
Um, Does really, she have that middle child syndrome? <laughs> no, actually, she's okay. she sounds like she was the perfect child. Oh, okay, okay. Um, this was a very Christian family. Uh, Dawn, the older sister, actually, the year after Sherry was kidnapped and murdered, won Miss South Carolina. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The 1990, uh, 1986, not 1990. Wow. 1986 Miss South Carolina. And she was second runner up for Miss America that same year. Wow. So she has Christian music albums out as well. So she's an artist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Dawn plays a real big part in this story because I can't even fathom what this fucker does to this family and how she handled it with such grace because... I would have showed the fuck out at some well, that, point. That's that's what we do. We don't have as much grace. No, and we're... she she was beautiful, graceful, and Sherry was very very pretty. In fact, Dawn and Sherry looked very much alike. Gotcha. You know, they had the bouncy blonde curls, the rosy complexion, the bright blue eyes. They were both positive, radiant. You know, upbeat girls. Awesome. Um. Two days after Sherry's disappearance, the Smiths receive a phone call in the middle of the night from an anonymous caller who asked to speak to Hilda. He was electronically distorting his voice and claiming to have Sherry in his possession. He described her black and yellow bathing suit that she had on under her clothes. He told Hilda to expect a letter in the mail with more information on their missing daughter the following day. So, some random person making their voice distorted calls and says, Look, I've In got your daughter. Ask yes. to speak to mom. I've got your daughter. Describes the bathing suit. That she had on under her clothes when she went missing. The fuck? Yes. And yeah, absolutely. This guy got off on taunting the family. That's what I'm saying. I would have showed the fuck out right. at some point. Right. But they handled it, I mean, with so much grace. And that's the only term I can coin with because I would have lost my shit. Right. So Our story would be very different. And my 13-year-old Boston Terrier is in the pod room with us and she is on the move. So She's if you hear weird snorty noises, <laughs> She's it's trying her. to decide where she wants to be at this time. She sleeps about 20 hours out of the day. <laughs> And so she just did a hot lap in here, and now she's one yoga pose, and now she's back in the poof. Yes. Anyway, so this piece of shit tells Hilda to expect a letter in the mail with more information on their missing daughter the following day, and they immediately called the investigators. But this is 1985. You're talking about snail mail absolutely yeah at the post office but they called the police as soon as they got off the phone with this guy and the police went and got the postmaster out of bed and they opened the post office early and dug through and after about 30 minutes of looking they find the letter wow so they find the letter and it's labeled the last will and testament And it includes messages to her mom, her dad, her brother, sister, and grandmother. And her boyfriend, Richard. Is this messages she has written or he wrote for her? She wrote. This is confirmed in her handwriting. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. So she is basically 
Telling everybody in her life she loves goodbye? Yes. Wow. I'm going to read the letter for you. Okay, so we're going to get to hear the letter. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Yes. It's actually dated June 1st, 1985. Now, she was taken at the 31st of May. So, this is literally within hours of her being taken. Right. And she even has 310 AM wrote at the top. And she has, I love you all, and it's underlined. And then it's um, named Last Will and Testament. And it starts off, I love you, Mommy, Daddy, Robert, Dawn, and Richard, and everyone else and all the other friends and relatives. I'll be with my father now, so please, please don't worry. Just remember my witty personality and great special times we all shared together. Please don't ever let this ruin your lives. Just keep living one day at a time for Jesus. Some good will come out of this. My thoughts will always be with you and in you. And in parentheses, she writes, casket closed. Oh my God, what does that mean? She wants a closed casket. So she knew at the time she was writing this that this... Yeah, that's... That he's going to kill her. Yeah. She knows this. Because it's titled Last Will and Testament. So sad. I can't imagine the thought process you have to go through. Right. And to be 17 years old, I mean, I I don't know that I could have handled it. I couldn't have. This whole family just handles everything so gracefully. But she goes on to say, I love you all so damn much. Sorry, Dad. I had to cuss for once. Jesus forgave me. Richard, sweetie, I really did and always will love you and treasure our special moments. I ask one thing, that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. My family has been the greatest influences of my life. I am sorry if I ever disappointed you in any way. I only wanted to make you proud of me because I have always been proud of my family. Mom, Dad, Robert, Dawn, there's so much that I want to say that I should have said before now. I love you. I know y'all love me and will miss me very, very much. But if y'all stick together like we always did, y'all can do it. Please do not become hard or upset. Everything works out for the good for those that love the Lord. I love y'all with all my heart. All my love always. Sharon Smith. And she's got Sherry in parentheses. And then she has a P.S. Nana. I love you so much. I kind of always felt like your favorite. You were mine. I know. Holy hell. And she's got a little smiley face drawn on the side. I mean, just like a teenager would write. You know, the squirrely writing. And she had the peace of mind to tell them, don't let this ruin your life. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Like, how sad is it to know you're going to die? But on the flip side of that, she got to tell her family she loved them. Right. Exactly. She got to say goodbye, which is something a lot of people don't get to do. And spoiler alert, it's this letter that ends up getting this fucktard caught Good. later. Good. So, I feel like we need a drink after that. That, that was is. some heavy that was, shit. That was a harsh. Yeah. That was a rough one. Okay. Here we go. Y'all know we got it already poured and ready. Ready. Cheers, bitches. Bloody FM presents... 
Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Mm. <laughs> A little frothy. I still, it is really good. It is good. Yeah. Very sweet. Very sweet. Now, pretty quickly, the FBI was notified, like I said earlier, and profiler John Douglas was in South Carolina to help. They knew he would call again, and the Smiths hold a press conference to try to beg for the return of Sherry and try to make him call again, and it worked. Now, this profiler, John Douglas, you know the Netflix series Mindhunters? Yeah, I've watched that show before. Well, that's actually based on John Douglas. John Douglas's profile for this offender was dead on. A lot of the times they are. They're they're eerily it's amazing. similar. In yeah. 1985, he was dead on because they didn't have DNA like they do now. Right. They had blood typing. In the 80s, DNA was like in its infancy just and really it was just the blood typing so they could tell that their victim may have type a and their offender had type you know a b or so does everybody else so that doesn't help a whole lot right right so but for him to nail this profile like he did wow he described he said it would be a overweight white male possibly an electrician now, I need to know how he came to that. Well, you remember in that first phone call, I said that he electronically distorted his voice yes. or he distorted his voice. Because of that, they knew that he was into electronics Okay, somehow. okay, okay. So, they said he was possibly, possibly an electrician. Electri- okay. Okay. Yeah. And that he would have been divorced and have a hard time keeping up with relationships. All around, just a loser. Well, most of the time, these white males that we do these stories on our losers our losers well he is i told you he called again so they did this press conference he called again which is exactly what they needed him to do this time they have it set up so they can record Mm -hmm. and the fbi is listening Mm -hmm. so he called the smith's home and told hilda that he and sherry were now one soul and he told them to does that mean that's what he liked to taunt them I mean, I I would go ahead and take that as he's killed her, right? And that, now they well, become that's what it one. Means to me, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he just threw that. They were just now one soul mm-hmm. because he's a piece of shit. And he told them to call off the search and that they would have Sherry back in three or four days. Um, she pleaded with him not to kill her daughter, and he called again a day or two later and said that they should get a good night's rest because Sherry would be home tomorrow. Now, this whole time in this first call that he did, he led them to believe that Sherry was fine. They were eating and drinking. He had been taking care of her. The mother, uh, Hilda, had inquired about, you know, her daughter's medical condition. He assured them that he's basically taking care of Sherry. And he wasn't doing none of that shit. Yeah, no. And then they've become one soul. 
call off the search. You'll have her back in three or four days. The night before, get a good night's sleep. You'll have Sherry back tomorrow. He's just fucking with them. That's exactly what he's doing. So he calls the next day, gives them directions to a old Masonic Lodge, and Sherry's body was found behind that Masonic Lodge. And how long had Sherry been deceased? She had been dead for three or four days at this point. So pretty much since he got her. Yes. She was killed within 12 hours of being kidnapped. But during this period of time, there was a heat wave going on in South Carolina. So the temperatures were around 100 degrees. So he wanted them to have Sherry back, but after she had decomposed enough that they couldn't get anything from her. So they couldn't see if she, they couldn't actually tell if she had been sexually assaulted. Um, But in one of the later phone calls that we'll talk about, he does say that he just wanted to make love to her. Of course. Now, Sherry was found behind that Masonic Lodge, I told you. She was face up and she had like a plastic sheath over her body kind of like some see-through plastic material she was still wearing the same clothes that she had on the day she disappeared and she was taken may 31st her body was found june 5th and it it been in that 100 degree temps all that time um and investigators said that she was killed roughly 12 hours after she was taken they were able to find some duct tape residue on her face suggesting that she had been suffocated but because of the decomposition they weren't 100 percent sure on that either the next phone call came while they were planning the funeral for sherry dawn happened to answer the phone wait so this is after they have found her body oh yes he continues to call yeah from the reports that i read it it looks like he made around eight different phone calls to this family so damn shame they didn't have caller ID back then. Girl, you know. Girl, if they'd had caller ID back then, they'd have got his ass quick, fast. For sure. For sure. <clears throat> but the next phone call came when they were planning the funeral for Sherry. Dawn answered, and he told Dawn that he would tell her how Sherry died if she could handle it. And of course, Dawn was like, I can handle it. He told Dawn that he let Sherry choose how she wanted to die. And that he gave her the options of shooting her, giving her drugs to cause an OD, or suffocation. And he said that she chose suffocation. So, and that, and that kind of goes in line with the duct tape that they found on right, her face. that would make sense. Um, he also, this is where he messed up. The FBI was still listening. These phone calls were still recorded. Um, he said that he just wanted to make love to Dawn but then uh, quickly corrected himself and said Sherry. So the FBI clued in right then that he's starting to fixate on Dawn. Okay. Dawn and Sherry looked a lot alike. Right. So, and the sheriff of Lexington County reportedly grabbed the phone out of her hand during one of these phone calls and said, you son of a bitch, we will get you. Right. And he even said that he, you know, they, the family handled it better than he did. Yeah, I mean, because you can he only was take so, so much. Mad. Yeah, and just listening to what he was saying to her, just to, talk to her them, sister, just to, to be talk ugly. Them. Yeah, yeah. he never would speak to Bob, the father. 
It was just Hilda and Dom. Well, because he, he feels power over women. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about this piece of shit in a little bit. <clears throat> but the FBI realized that he started to fixate on Dawn. And because Dawn and Sherry looked a lot alike, they thought, okay, here we go. Here's our in. So they asked Bob and Hilda if they could basically use Dawn as bait. And... Bob and Hilda were concerned about the safety of their daughter. Obviously, they As just lost one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the FBI assured them that, no, we are going to keep her protected. We'll keep her safe. And Dawn said, I'll do anything to help catch my sister's killer. Right. So they ended up publicizing a graveside memorial for Sherry. And they had it in the newspaper and whatnot because they knew he'd be paying attention. You know that motherfucker's going to show up. He's yeah. going to show up. They always do. They uh, put a koala bear that was from Sherry's room on there just to kind of entice him mm-hmm. a little bit. And um, sure enough, it worked again. Oh, I'm sure. He's going to show up to see his work. Absolutely. Well, he called again that night. And he told Dawn, God wants you to join Sherry Fay. It's just a matter of time. This month, next month. This year, next year, mm. you can't be protected all the time. So Dawn was basically a prisoner in her home. Yes. That um, would scare the shit out of anybody. You just saw it happen to your sister. Absolutely. He's you calling, know he is capable. And he's calling you, telling you, you next. Yeah. That would scare the shit out of anybody. Absolutely. Yes. And he ends all these phone calls with God chose us or God forgive us all. There were all these think, religious. Is that because he knew they were a religious family? I, well, I'll tell you a little more about him later, but up until he the day he dies, he thinks that he is Jesus Christ. Oh, God, help me. So, look, I love Jesus just as much as the next person, but you religious fanatics are fucking crazy. Right. When they go like this, yeah. And, and you don't even know with him if it's really real or if that's just some bullshit he's spitting. Just a facade, Yeah, he's you saying, don't know. Right. With any of these guys like this. <clears throat> um, But she couldn't go anywhere. Don couldn't go anywhere. And for two weeks, things went silent. He didn't call. But on June 14th, 1985, 24 miles from the Smith home, nine-year-old Deborah Mae Helmick was playing in her front yard with her three-year-old brother, Woody. And this piece of shit came driving up through the trailer park in his car. And a neighbor came running out because he heard Deborah Mae screaming. He had gotten out grabbed her by the waist and had threw her in the back of the car and she was kicking and screaming to try to get out of there. Oh my God. Uh, and the car just sped away. So the neighbor runs out. He didn't have a vehicle. He runs over to Deborah May's trailer and goes in. Her father was there. Her mother had gone to work. And he said, somebody just took your daughter. I would go so, crazy. But the neighbor got a partial plate um, he got, he knew it was a South Carolina plate and that it had a letter D starting. And that's all he got. Um, they called 911. And because the FBI was already working on Sherry Faye's case that had happened two weeks earlier, um, they were already in town. And at first they questioned because of the age difference. Deborah was nine. Sherry was 17 whether this was the same person but pretty quickly they come to the conclusion that this was definitely related 
Both of these girls had blonde hair, blue eyes. Both of them were taken um, in front of their homes. And they were taken two weeks to the day from each other and within 30 minutes of the same time of day. What kind of fucking sick bastard is this? Right. Right. Okay, I'm just going to say, if this sick motherfucker's riding around just picking up random girls, whether they're 17 or 9, snatch them out of the front yard, I need another shot. I mean, fuck, that's crazy. I mean, let's do it. I'm with you. Holy shit. Because we're about to talk about this sweet little 9-year-old, so... Cheers, bitches. Cheers. Woo. Okay, I think, oh, I think I can do okay. it now. I can. Now, <clears throat> proceed. Now, sweet little Deborah May Helmick was born November 12th, 1975. She had a six-year-old sister named Becky and her younger brother, Woody, who was three years old at the time. I mentioned he was in the yard with her. So there were three of them. She was described as being a sweet girl who loved her family. Always had a sunny disposition and she loved school and either wanted to be a teacher or a principal. Oh, wow. So now it gets crazy. The Smiths stay in this whole thing. Dawn, like I said, plays a huge role in this, even in Deborah's. Okay. Because on June 23rd, after midnight, he called the Smiths again. Oh. He never contacts Deborah Helmick's family, only the Smiths. So he calls again. Dawn answers, and he asked Dawn if she had heard of that missing girl, Deborah Helmick, and then told them where to find Deborah May's body. He never contacted the Helmicks. Now, one of the reports I read said that they did not have a phone. Okay. So, but not sure. That wasn't in all of them. Deborah also had, she was found in a field. He called, he gave the Smiths directions to where they could find her body. And that made, that serious. Like the police said nobody had found her yet, but he told them. He called and asked, have you heard of the missing girl, Deborah Helmick? Oh my God. And then told them where to find her. She was found in a field. In some brush. Um, And it was basically the same thing. She had duct tape residue on her face. She had been out there for four days probably in the heat. Decomposing. So uh, it was just hard. They never could tell with her whether she had been sexually assaulted. But just assuming with the dipshit that we're dealing with. He probably Why did. Why else would he be doing it? Something yeah. Has to and even the him. FBI, there were sexual undertones in because this crime. It always is. So. It always is. So, yeah. I wonder why he takes the duct tape. Is that because... But they didn't do finger... Could they get fingerprints off the duct tape in 85? Uh, no. Well, they didn't. Well, there wasn't any duct tape. He took it. Is that he why took, he yeah, took Yeah, there it? was... Re- they, they said there were some pieces that were still stuck in the hair... But it was more the duct tape residue that they found on their face. So, from what I read, it sounds like he wrapped their entire heads in the duct tape. Is that how he smothered them? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, now, about this time when Deborah's body had been found, he had called the Smiths to tell them where to find it. Uh, The FBI were still working on this last will and testament letter. 
and they put it through this electrostatic device. It would it come off of a yellow legal pad. Okay. The letter was written on. Right. <clears throat> and this electrostatic device basically picks up indents from the paper. So let's say you're going and you were sketching over a gravestone and you're doing the charcoal over it. Right. It's kind of the same concept. Right. It's going to show up what was there before. Right. Any indentations. And when you're writing on the yellow legal pad, um, if you lift the paper or you tear the paper off that you've wrote on underneath, you, you can, can see, see the where you wrote. Right. right. And so with this indention, they seen a name, Joe, and then they seen an Alabama phone number, and it had every single digit but one. So they went through and did old-fashioned police work and just used every number. I was going to say, if you're just missing one digit, exactly. you can figure it out. Right, until they come across Joe Shepard. So investigators went down to Alabama to interview him. He did not fit the profile. He was not an overweight. Divorced white he, male. He was white, but he wasn't divorced, overweight, electrician, none right. of that. Um, so they asked him, well, do you have any ties to anybody in South Carolina? And he says, well, yeah, my parents live in South Carolina. And his parents' home was only about 15 miles away from the Smith's home. So they key in on his parents. And that is Ellis and Sharon Shepard. Ellis and Sharon are an older couple. They, again, did not fit the profile. So when they went to interview them, um, Ellis owns an electrician or electrical mm. company. Uh-oh. And <clears throat> he had started to retire, and they wanted to take longer vacations. So they had just been on a six-week vacay. So they weren't even in town. Right. So They were able to clear them pretty rolled quickly. Out immediately. So they start going over some of the stuff from the profile that the profiler had given them. And they let them listen to the recording of some of the phone calls. Right. And almost in unison, they both looked at each other and they said, that sounds like Larry Jean Bell. Which is who to them? He was house-sitting for them. And he had also done some electrical work for Ellis. Okay. Now, I couldn't find that he actually worked for Ellis full-time or anything. But just a, a contractor but here and there. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Got you. And because they were going to be out of town, he was house-sitting for them. And so the shepherds started telling him, well, you know, he picked us up from the airport. All he could talk about was Sherry Smith. He even clipped out um, or kept newspaper clippings. They do that. Of they, the crime. Because they love their work. It's like they're relishing in right. their work. Yes. And he wanted to show these to the shepherds. And they said the whole way from the airport that all he did was talk about Sherry uh, Smith's murder. Damn. So they thought that was a little odd, but then Larry Jean Bell was a little odd. Then why you got him fucking house sitting in your house? Because you never think in a million years that you have a serial killer. True. In your house. True. So nobody thinks that. You think he's weird, but, you know, he's harmless. Kind of the deal. weird ones aren't harmless, though. No. Not no, all the time. No. So this is the first time that FBI has heard Larry Jean Bell's name? Yes. Okay. Yes. This is the first time 
when they looked at each other and said, that sounds like Larry Jean Bell, he fit the profile to a T. And he was an electrician. Now, I found in some reports he was an electrician, some that he was an electrician's assistant. So either way. Either way. About wiring. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. So in the shepherd's home, investigators find hair fibers in the bathroom that belonged to Sherry and a blood drop on a shoe that matched Sherry's blood type. Mm. So he took her to the shepherd's house and assaulted her. They let him house sit and he is kidnapping, assaulting, and murdering people at their house. Yes. That's why you don't let weird, quiet motherfuckers stay at your house. That's why. That is true. I second that. (laughs) So, they, um, they were also able to find the exact legal pad that the last will and testament letter that Sherry wrote was written on. They did the charcoal thing again. Uh, they did not. I guess they, they could match it up with the way that oh, it had yeah, been torn yeah, from yeah. the legal pad. Yeah. Um, the shepherds, uh, they, oh, they also found the mallard postal stamps at the shepherds oh that he sent the last will and yeah testament the with. stamp yes. the whole they found the roll of stamps so anyhow on june 27th so when he was staying at their house he literally made himself at home while he, he was there. literally <laughs> they said that the bedroom you, that he was in the the guest bedroom was clean as a whistle like, the carpets had been vacuumed. You could see the lines and the carpet. Everything had been dusted. Everything had been wiped down. He's trying to trace the steps. Yes. Cover up any evidence. Yes. He didn't think about them damn he ducks. Did stamps, did he did a poor job he of did. that. He did. Most of them do. My husband is in law enforcement, and as he will tell you, thank God that they're not usually chasing smart people. So, And you can, like I said, you can be one of those stupid smart people. True. You can be book smart. Criminals are usually pretty But stupid. have no common sense <laughs> whatsoever. So, Larry Jean Bell was finally arrested on June 27th on his way to work. Um, this was two months after Sherry's disappearance. And Larry Jean Bell was formally arrested and charged with the kidnap and murder of both girls. Thank God. Now, this piece of shit... Larry Jean Bell. Let's talk about him for a second. Because you know, they don't just come out the gate and just decide, hey, I'm going to fucking kill people. There are right. signs. You don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to kidnap, rape, and murder yeah, a girl. On that a Tuesday, right? That doesn't happen no. without some background. Right. And he did have some background. Typically, they do. So... He was born um, October 30th, 1949 in Ralph, Alabama. Never heard of it. Nope. I don't, I don't imagine many people have. He has three sisters and one brother. And I didn't bother looking up his ex-wife's name, his son's name, his brother's and sister's name, because I wouldn't necessarily want to be attached to him. So that, that's not all they have done. Right, right. right. They you should be don't free necessarily of him. be just remembered or associated with This is his fucked up Bell. story. Right. This is just his. Yes. He created this. Yeah. So I didn't look up the brother and sister's names, ex-wife, the sons cuz it doesn't matter. Right. <clears throat> but his family moved around pretty frequently. Uh he attended high school in Columbia, South Carolina. 
from 1965 to 1967. He was said to be awkward, bad with relationships, didn't make a whole lot of friends, even though he played baseball in high school, which normally team sports kind of bring people together. The brotherhood. Not, not for him. I'm telling you. He was reported to be ones. like a loner. Uh, and they even said, and I couldn't really find a whole lot more about this, that he would fall into psychotic trances as a teen. And nobody thought to investigate this further. I don't know what psychotic trances mean. Because I think psychotic, I think, you know, kind of wild, unruly, out of control. And then trances, I feel like you're just a zombie True, sitting there. Right? So, That's... not sure. Um, but, you know, back in the day, the 60s, 70s, 80s, a lot Men- of times things weren't reported. And mental health was not not taken seriously. Like yeah. it is today. You rub a little dirt on it and you walk it off. Right. So, um, as a teen, he is reported to have sexually abused some female relatives. In 1967, they moved to Mississippi and he finishes high school in Mississippi and is trained as an electrician. After he became an electrician, he moved back to Columbia, South Carolina, where he got married and had a son. In 1970, he joined the U.S. Marine Corps, but was discharged the same year for accidentally shooting himself in the knee while cleaning a gun. What the fuck? <laughs> if only it would have shot his dick just, off. Right. Then we wouldn't be in this situation. You know, or if maybe it just took out that... that femoral artery there just bleed out let him bleed out save a lot of people a lot of trouble he is one especially with the taunting phone calls right like he got off somebody should cut him to the pink meat and watch him bleed out ass what an ass so sick he got out of the marine corps same year for shooting his stupid ass (laughs) in the knee his own self in the knee um the following year he worked as a correctional officer of all things for a month now, I'm assuming it's because he's a piece of shit. I couldn't find why it was only a month-long um, job, but I'm just assuming it's because he's a piece of shit. Right. Now, after that, he and his family moved from Columbia to Rock Hill, South Carolina uh, in 1972, and the couple divorced in 1976. And I'm guessing she smartened up because in 1975, in February of 1975, he had attempted to abduct a woman in a grocery store parking lot in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He had approached her at knife point, but her screams alerted people nearby and Bell just took off. He was apprehended just a few minutes later after driving away. And in those days, victims were not entitled to be notified of any proceedings. So the victim in that case did not know until after Bell's guilty plea what had happened in court. That's some bullshit. That is some fucked up shit. And this is even more fucked up. The judge had given him a five-year sentence, but he suspended it, giving him five years probation and requiring that he seek mental health counseling for attacking women. So that's all that happened. So you got no time. That you don't try to abduct happened. somebody and get no time for that. That's bullshit. Yeah. And this is while he was married. His wife left him after. Yeah, the arrest happened in 1975, <clears throat> and they divorced, and they divorced in, 76. in 76. Well, I guarantee you, he was abusive to her. 100%. Oh, I bet there's a lot of weird shit that probably went on between him and her. You know, I would assume 
So he doesn't seem like the type that could hold that in, like like a BTK kind of guy. Right, just be two totally could, different yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, especially when he's picking the sheriff, uh, the shepherds up from the airport and, and telling them all about, about this it, case yeah. and had saved newspaper, uh, newspaper clippings for them, yeah, you know? he's proud of it. So, yeah. So once they arrested his punk ass... Uh, Sheriff Metz decided they were going to fix up the interrogation room with pics of Sherry Faye and Deborah May. And when they brought him in, Larry Jean Bell was noticeably uncomfortable. He denies that he has anything to do with the murders of those two girls. Of course. And after 12 hours of questioning, he is still denying any involvement, but he requests to see Hilda and Dawn. The fuck did exactly. he ask to see Hilda and Dawn After 12 Thor? hours of being like, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Um, but I'd really like to speak to Dawn and Hilda. I mean, you can see this obsession. I hope that Dawn did talk to him, and I hope she looked him in his eyes and said, you're never going to fucking get this or me. You're going to rot in prison, you dirty she rat was bastard. Way more eloquent than that. That's what I would have said. You yeah. dirty rat bastard. Exactly. Get that big old dumb person have... every day. <laughs> I hope at some point he did get one of the big old sandpaper dongs. Like I said before, they always do. I hope he dropped the soap. Because you and may got think you're hard nailed. in prison, but guess what? When you get in prison, them motherfuckers is harder. <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> yes. There's always going to be somebody harder. From all than your you. prison shows. You know. I know. And you know everybody is ass raped. Everybody is We've already raped. clarified that yes. in the first episode yes. if you weren't listening. So, he denies all involvement but wants to speak to Dawn and Hilda. And Dawn and Hilda actually agree. So, they go in and he's chained up to a table and they stand up against the wall away from him. Um, and all he does is cry. He doesn't. He, he's sad because he's caught and he wants Dawn and he can't get to her. Right. Now. He he just he, he just basically cries, and again I can't say enough. This family, their grace through all this is amazing. Um, Hilda said, "These were her quotes. I know you are the man that killed my Sherry, but yet I'm looking at you and I can honestly say that I don't even hate you." And she forgave him right there in that room. And he still did not confess. The closest he came was when he told Dawn and Hilda that the good Larry Jean Bell could have never done this, but the bad Larry Jean Bell could have. And that was it. Now, in June of 1986, he was tried and convicted for the kidnapping and murder of Sherry Faye Smith. And in March 1987, he was tried and convicted of the kidnapping and murder of Deborah May Helmick. Did he ever admit well, you said he didn't admit to murdering them. Did he admit to any sexual assault on... No. A, Other than what he told Dawn in that one of those phone calls where he said he, he just, just wanted looked, to make love to... But that was just for Sherry. Yes. Yeah. They never could find, because of the decomposition of the bodies, if he had actually sexually assaulted her. But we just have to assume that he probably did. But... He never, he never admitted she, to anything. She was nine years old. You think even with the why else would he have taken her though? But surely, I mean, she was she was a virgin, obviously, so mm -hmm. she would have shown some signs. If but she's so decomposed it in would that, be that heat, bad? yeah, it was hundred degrees, 
and just laying out there for four or five days in the heat. Yeah, there's no the way. And yeah. the animals and the mm-hmm. insects. And yeah. Okay. Okay. No way okay. they could have found that out. But you know he fucking did. Why else? Exactly. I mean, these were the FBI even said these were sexually motivated. Crimes. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. So I don't see why he wouldn't have done that yeah, to he her. Did. Fuck him. Uh, yeah. And I hope that somebody did in prison with that sandpaper now. So, <laughs> uh, he was convicted of kidnapping and murder in both of the girls' cases. And in both cases, he received death. Good. So, um, during his trial, though, uh, for Sherry Fay, he did all kinds of crazy outbursts, yelling during court proceedings. He even got on the stand and asked Dawn to marry him on the stand is he trying to play up the mental, mental health yeah, issues yeah yeah um yeah, we can see right through that motherfucker sit down but uh, during deborah may's trial he was eerily quiet no outbursts well he had already been convicted of one so he's like yeah okay that's not gonna work and sherry and dawn i think were the main focuses like those were his obsessions right so this, this other poor little girl just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Even though she's in her own fucking front yard. Right. Playing with her brother. Right. Like a little kid could do. Should, should do. do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, he receives death. And um, in South Carolina at that time, any death row inmates were able to pick the way they wanted to die. They could choose lethal injection or the electric chair. And he chose electrocution. Because up until the day he was killed, he claimed that he was Jesus Christ and that the wood that the South Carolina electric chair was made from was also the same type of wood that the cross Jesus was crucified on was. So if they lighted his ass up or lit his ass up uh, in this electric chair, it would be a direct path to heaven. Honey. People that kidnap, rape, and murder little girls do not end up in heaven. Now, I know you're going to say, he can repent, he can do it. What the fuck ever. There is a special place in hell for people that hurt children intentionally. Period. Yeah, and he never admitted to this. He didn't feel sorry for this. There was no remorse. No, absolutely not. I mean, I know he was getting electrocuted, but I feel like it's probably going to be hot wherever he's going to. Oh, it's very hot. It's going to be real hot, whether you believe in it or don't. (laughs) Sherry's Uncle Rick and Deborah's father, Donnie, were the ones that watched the execution. I was going to ask, did anybody from the families view the execution? Yeah, the uncle of Sherry, the father of Deborah May, did watch the execution. And they both said that it was justice served. And I totally understand that. And if somebody had done that to my child, I would want them to be executed. But I don't know that I would want to watch it. Just knowing it's done. Yeah, the death penalty can be a gray area. I I kind of am in the middle. There are some cases where I feel like it would be worse punishment for them to be in prison for the rest of their lives. Than the death penalty. Than the death penalty. And then I think sometimes I'm like, we don't even need to feed them. Don't. Don't Let's waste just any go and cook them. Energy. Yeah. Let's take them out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of in a gray area with that. So, but on October 4th, 1996, Larry Jean Bell was executed. He was pronounced dead at 1:12 a.m. He had no final words. And 
Rick and Donnie both said that after they watched the execution, they said justice was served, but they were relieved to know that he was really gone. Oh, absolutely. And I would want to know it's over, it's done, they're gone, but I I don't know that I want to watch it. Right. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So he had no final words for no. somebody that kept fucking calling and had so much to say. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he have any final words? He didn't. No final words. So unfortunately, there are a few other cases that most likely will never see justice because Larry Jean Bell is dead. Yeah, and those victims won't see justice, but there's always He other never victims. talked about. Uh, he did make one comment when he was being arrested or when he was already in prison that you might want to get the Charlotte boys down here, meaning Charlotte, North Carolina, because so there were victim in Charlotte, there were three other victims that they think are his that were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so he was in and out of Charlotte pretty much the seventies and eighties. And for some of you guys that don't know out there, Rock Hill, South Carolina, is only about forty-five minutes from Charlotte, North Carolina. Columbia is about an hour and a half. So, pretty close proximity. Yeah, not hard to get to. 77 runs right up through there. Um, Very easy to get to. And he lived in Charlotte some uh, during these two decades as well. But he worked for Eastern Airlines in Charlotte, North Carolina at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Um, I've never even heard of Eastern Airlines. It's not, it's not. That uh, one fizzled out. Yes. That's old. Yes. Yes. Okay. Or either it was bought up by one of the gotcha. other ones. Um, Bell was a suspect in two other disappearances. The 1984 disappearance of Sandy Elaine Cornett, who was a girlfriend of one of Bell's co-workers. Mm. And the disappearance of Denise Newsom Porch, who was last seen in July of 1975 and lived in an apartment complex close to where Bell had lived. In one of the things I read, it was only within like 300 yards of where she lived. Which makes sense because he has access. Right. He can watch her. He can plan. Right. So both of those, because neither one of those women were ever found, both are still classified as missing. I wonder what he did with them. That's a good question. He won't confess to anything. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. And now he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. So, so there's no getting that information from yeah, him now. They'll probably never know where those girls are. And there was another one, too, um, that they had found a body in the woods. But again, it was so decomposed, like skeletal. No evidence, yeah. And it was a female that had went missing, kind of the same MO. And... Uh, but they could never prove. And, and he was in close proximity to that area as well. I can't remember if they said he lived in that area or not. Um, but they were all relatively close to him. So he probably had more victims out there. I'm sure he did. Most likely. Wow. But at least that fucker is gone and he ain't breathing up all the good oxygen that the rest of us could be breathing. We need that because he was a waste of it. Absolutely. So let's cheers on that. Thank God that waste of oxygen's gone. Fuck yeah. Cheers, bitches. Mmm. Wow. Ooh, that was good Mm -hmm. that time. (laughs) It just gets better and better, don't it? (laughs) 
Makes you feel warm and fuzzy after mm. this depressing ass terrible story. And I'm so thankful to get out of Larry Jean Bell's chaotic, fucked up world. You can get sucked in, that's for sure. Because yeah. you're trying so hard to understand, like, what the fuck are you thinking? What drives people to, to behave like this, right. to act like this? Right. Are they born with it? And it makes sense that my parents had me convinced in the 80s that if I left the house alone that somebody was going to kidnap and murder oh, me. Oh, yeah. My, ask my kids. Ask my kids now, even in this day and age. I'm like, if you walk out the door unprotected or alone, you're going to be raped and murdered and dead. Period. Yeah, my, my parents had me convinced. But then I think we're coming up in the 80s. You know, you've had the 60s, 70s, 80s. You've got a lot of these major serial killers mm-hmm. that were Roman. So. The hell, the 80s. It was fucked up, man. The 70s were pretty fucking wild, too. <laughs> <laughs> All that free love and shit. <laughs> anyway, that is episode number two on Larry Jean Bell. We hope to be getting better and better. And we hope that you guys tune in again. We hope you keep listening and find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Murder and Moonshine. We would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at murderandmoonshine at gmail.com.